Welcome to Fight Back Radio, a production of FightBackNews.org, taking you to the heart of the people's struggles. I'm your host, Richard Berg, uh, and it's really great to be here. Um, this is our first full-length uh, show with a guest. We have a, a very special guest for you. If you have a passion for justice, you're going to love this show, I believe, in this interview uh, with Kobe Guillory. And uh, Kobe is uh, the co-chair of the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. He's also on the executive board of the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. Um, and you'll hear him uh, talking about those things. Uh, he was born in Georgia, but uh, grew up in uh, South Africa, so that gives him a unique experience. Uh, he's distinguished himself over the last several years here in Chicago uh, as a leader of the Black Liberation Movement and the fight for black liberation here in Chicago and across the country. And uh, he's, a, he's a young man who I think you're going to hear a lot about. Um, so uh, he's appropriate to be our first guest. Uh, and, and, and you're going to hear him talk about uh, the things the Alliance has been involved in, uh, community control of the police, freeing political prisoners, uh, police torture. But I think some of what he does that's uh, important is uh, he brings the debate about, uh, about power uh, to the streets. And uh, it comes across in this interview, the things that they're doing and how they're doing them uh, in the Alliance. Uh, so uh, we hope you'll enjoy it. Uh, and uh, I want to thank everybody who listened to the teaser uh, for our uh, Fight Back radio show. Um, I was surprised at the overwhelming support that we, we got. I, maybe I shouldn't have been, but I, I thank you all for that. And hopefully uh, you liked it. Uh, um, and, you know, we're looking for feedback. If you want to reach me, uh, I'm at Richard dot fightbackradio at gmail.com that's richard dot fightbackradio at gmail.com um so uh i'm not gonna uh keep you uh listening to me i think we have a good interview here so uh here's uh kobe guillory so i'm here with kobe guillory um, from the national alliance against racist and political repression uh the Alli national alliance this year had a, a conference um, which was, uh, and I, wa I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that conference mm -hmm. and uh, where the Alliance came from in the first place. Yeah, um, yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, I'm sure this is going to be a great podcast. Um, the National Alliance uh, formed in 1973. It came out of the movement to free Angela Davis and all political prisoners. Um, you know, just like a little bit about the, the political background, um, in the 70s and 80s, as a response to the civil rights movements, uh, the black power movement, as a response to basically the fight of black people to be free in this country, um, the state and the white supremacist system uh, skyrocketed incarceration and uh, policing. So you, you've seen police budgets uh, since the 1970s just skyrocket, and especially over the past 20 years. Um, and the prison population went from below 500,000 in 1970 to uh, well over 2 million right now. Um, so the National Alliance uh, is a defense organization uh, built to defend oppressed people against this white supremacist system. Um, and the, the, the way the movement is, um, you know, we can't have millions of people in the streets all the time. So the uh, what was a huge... Uh, a huge movement with all kinds of mobilizations in the 70s um, kind of uh, slowed down and was carried on by a few veterans, you know, a few um, uh, really strong comrades like Frank Chapman, like uh, Ted Pearson, 
um, and other uh, veterans of the struggle uh, until more recently um, with the uprisings uh, in Ferguson, um, the fight for justice uh, for Laquan McDonald here in, in Chicago, um, the fight for uh, justice for Tamir Rice, justice for Mike Brown, the movement for uh, black liberation uh, kind of gained, kind of became revitalized in the past few years. And uh, more and more people started joining the Chicago Alliance, which as of 2019 was one of two uh, National Alliance chapters left. Um, so we had a refounding conference in November of 2019. About a thousand people came. Angela Davis was there. This was, of course, before the pandemic. Um, and a, a bunch of chapters uh, formed around the country. And um, because of the pandemic, we had to delay our second conference. But we had it uh, in December of uh, 2021. Um, and that conference was a huge success because it brought together so many people from different cities, uh, fighting different fights in, uh, around the country. Um, and we're all here fighting for one thing, which is, you know, for liberation and for an end to uh, this white supremacist system. So, so let me go back then. Uh, this, this is interesting. So the, the first National Alliance was founded uh, because of the struggle to free Angela Davis and people like Frank Chapman, you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and that, that's the same organization from the early 1970s that there's a string that you can connect to, to today. And so um, I remember when the, it was refounded uh, in 2019, because it was at my union, the Chicago Teachers yeah. Union, was at yeah. our hall. And uh, we were proud, you know, our members were proud to be a part of that. But uh, could you talk a little bit about, um, about that connection um, from the from the old you know alliance uh, the, the committee to free Angela Davis to uh, um, to you know the, what happened in 2019. Yeah, I mean, Angela Davis got freed by that by that struggle, as did uh, Frank Chapman. He was a political prisoner um, as well, uh, but a lot of political prisoners are still locked up. Um, a lot of Black Panthers, um, you know, people like uh, Mumia Abu Jamal. Um, people like Leonard Peltier, who uh, was uh, a part of the American Indian movement, are still locked up to this day. And um, These are all political prisoners. Yeah, these are political prisoners. And there are also, um, there are political reasons for um, this system of uh, mass incarceration to exist. So um, we're, we have to fight against the whole system. So that's, you know, that's what we're doing by fighting for the freedom of particular people. Um, political prisoners... Uh, as well as um, people like Gerald Reed, who who was freed uh, in April last year, um, who were tortured into confessing to crimes that they didn't commit, um, as well as people uh, who were framed. Um, so this. So is that the main thing the alliance does? Is get people out of jail or try to get people out of jail? It's it's one of the main things we do. Um, one of the two main things. Um, the second thing is the fight for community control of the police. Um, that's also a struggle that is connected to the fight of the Black Panthers and other uh, Black liberation organizations in the 60s and 70s, um, because what they were fighting for was uh, more control over their own communities. Um, one of the things that uh, that has become a, a huge topic um, over the past couple of years is uh, police budgets versus the budget for pretty much everything else in the city. Um, you know, black communities and other uh, oppressed communities 
didn't choose to have their schools shutting down while police budgets are skyrocketing. You know, this was chosen for them by um, an oppressive system run by a handful of rich, mostly white people. So our fight, you know, before we can do anything, before we can say what the system should look like, we have to uh, struggle for power over the system. So um, we've been fighting for community control of the police. Uh, in Chicago, that fight took the form of a civilian police accountability council in 2012. That was after uh, Rakia Boyd was murdered by a police officer. And that fight was to get justice for Rakia Boyd and joined with the fight to get justice for Laquan McDonald. Well, well take a second there. So who, who is Rakia Boyd? Who is Laquan McDonald? For our listeners around the country who may not know, could you give a little background there? Yeah, um, so Rakia Boyd uh, was uh, shot by an, off, an off-duty police officer uh, Laquan McDonald is also shot by a police officer, and these were, you know, very public cases, especially Laquan McDonald, because uh, his his murder happened on video, and it took a while to it took a lot of pressure to make the city release that video. There's a lot of different struggles around those cases um, to get them to release the footage of uh, of the police crimes. So, what was on the video of Laquan? And for people that haven't seen it, uh, yeah, uh, why why what is why was that such a big deal? It, it was pretty horrific. Um, this, this police officer, uh, Jason Van Dyke, shot Laquan while he was walking away from, uh, from Van Dyke. He shot him uh, 16 times. Uh, most, of those, most of the times he shot him were while he was on the ground, you know, dead, essentially. And um, it took more than a year, about, I think, 400 days for, uh, you know, the mayor at the time, Rahm Emanuel, to release the footage because there was so much pressure from activists and organizers and just, you know, the city. And the, the slogan became 16 shots in a cover-up because, um, you know, that's that's the kind of the connection between the individual police officers um, like uh, Dante Servin, who killed Rakia Boyd, um, like Jason Van Dyke, who killed Laquan McDonald, or uh, uh, Derek Chauvin, who killed George Floyd. Um, the what we see with with these cases is that the the city structure, the power structure, comes and tries to uh, shield those cops from being held accountable. So Rahm Emanuel uh, covered up the footage, uh, you know, working together with the prosecutor at the time, Anita Alvarez. Um, you know, both of them are gone now because uh, that that kind of tanked their careers because. Um, you know the city hates Rom's in point. Japan right now. I think right. Uh, he, he he's is. trying to make a comeback. Uh, he's yeah. uh, the ambassador to Japan. I think uh, Joe Biden just appointed him that. Yeah, and you know, I mean, we 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 have a long memory, so we'll do everything we can to, um, you know, any any good thing that is coming to Rahm Emanuel, you know, whatever way we can uh, block that is something that we're going to do. So talk a little bit about uh, Rakia Boyd. Who is that, and why? Uh, uh, I mean, that name may not be known to our listeners across the country. Yeah. Um, so like I said, she was murdered by uh, Dante Servin, uh, who was an off-duty cop. Uh, so he was, you know, just walking around. He wasn't even uh, on the job at the time. And if I recall correctly, there was some kind of a noise complaint or something. And he shot into uh, a car um, and, you know, ended up killing her. You know, not just ended up, he killed her on purpose. Um, but as a result of that, some uh, organizers with the Chicago Alliance, together with uh, people from other organizations, came together in 2012. Um, and, you know, what they said was, 
we can't just we can't just focus on uh, these this one individual uh, police officer. We have to link this to the fact that about a thousand black people are killed every year. Um, or actually, I don't think it's just black people. A thousand people are killed every year by uh, the police in this country, and um, you know that's something that we need. You know, we need a systemic change to stop that. So that that would, so that was key in trying to pull together a national organization again, is is to try to not just look at the the Chicago tragedies, but also connect it, as you mentioned, Michael Brown and in, uh, in Ferguson and and uh, Trayvon Martin in Florida and others other stories like this that have happened around the country. Is is that correct or uh, sort of? I mean, it was the beginning of of that process of connecting um, things back to the back nationally. Um, but it was a Chicago initiative, and just the the nature of you know the laws being different in every in every city, um, you know we had to figure out. Uh, I say we. I, I wasn't there. I was uh, I was about fourteen, sixteen at the time. Um, but the the strategy is um, to go through the electoral system, which is different in different cities. Um, so it was like a very Chicago specific struggle. But a lot of people from different cities. Um, have been inspired by that struggle and have uh, started their own struggles for community so control. So when you say go through the electoral system, what do you mean exactly? So in order to get a legislation passed, which uh, CPAC uh, was a legislation... So what, what does that stand for, CPAC? Uh, I think I said it, but it's Civilian Police Accountability Council. Okay. Um, not, not, the, not the other CPAC with the Republicans, um, but... Yeah, it. Uh, We're not worried about confusing you with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not Ted Cruz, but yeah, it, it was um, the the strategy, and you know, still that that still is a large part of our strategy, uh, is to go through city council, to, which you have to do in the city to get any kind of legislation passed. Um, you need a majority of the city council uh, to vote for the legislation, uh, and. If if you uh, don't want the legislation to get veto- vetoed, you need a super majority, which is about sixty percent of the council. And we've been struggling uh, through that. So for about eight years, um, between two thousand twelve and twenty twenty, um, the fight was uh, for CPAC. Um, in twenty twenty, you know. So let me, let me stop you there. So the. Um, okay, so we're, we're fighting for community control of the police, and and this goes back to Black Panther Party, probably even to Reconstruction, where there's fights of, of black people in oppressed communities to fight for community control of the police. Um, so we're going through an electoral process here in Chicago and maybe around the country, but who, why would... Why would anybody oppose that? Why would shouldn't the community, you know, why what what alderman would ever be against that? What what reasons would they give you for not supporting controlling your own community? Yeah, I mean, the main reason is racism. Um, just to to be blunt about it, um, but I think it's good that you mentioned the uh, during Reconstruction in a lot of uh, in a lot of southern states. Um, in in the Black Belt South, black people controlled uh, had black people had political power, which includes control over the police, and they used that power to virtually eradicate the KKK. So, if you're in the KKK, you know you don't want to you, you don't want black people to have this kind of political power, and um, you know the the people who would have been in the KKK about 150 years ago are in the police force now, and they. Uh, you know, they exercise a lot more political power than we do. You know, they have the Fraternal Order of Police um, and 
uh, pretty much every mayor, uh, I mean, every mayor of Chicago for as long as I've been alive, which is about 25 years, has been uh, pro-police um, and which... Uh, necessarily I think you can go means, back further than 25 years. <laughs> right. I, I didn't want to make too bold of a claim, yeah. but, um, you know, the, the mayor is is uh, squarely in the pocket of, like I mentioned before, the white supremacists who uh, own all the resources or virtually all the resources in the city. Um, and not just the city, but, you know, the country and the world. And their, their interest is in uh, keeping black people impoverished, keeping... Uh, black people imprisoned um, so that uh, so that we don't uh, have some kind of revolution um, because all of this all of this came out of slavery you know all of this uh, if if the ruling class had their way you know they we would still be slaves in this country and you know they've been trying everything they can do to uh, re-enslave us um, through all kinds of different uh, mechanisms uh through uh, terrorism with the KKK and with the police, through uh, incarceration, um, and as well as economic and political and social and cultural uh, uh, methods, you know, there's so there's all kinds of propaganda that has been um, that has been put out into people's heads about why the police need to be this unaccountable force uh, standing above the standing above the scum of society, basically. And um, all kind, you know, that rhetoric is is, you know, very strong with us today. Um, the the protesters who uh, were fighting for justice for George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, um, and you know, so many others have been labeled in the news as, uh, you know, basically terrorists, criminals. You know, all every every kind of smear uh, has been put against uh, against us. You know, because. Um, we're trying to change the world, you know, we're trying to make it, um, we're trying to take the wealth from this uh, fraction of 1% of society and uh, put it in the hands of everybody. Um, and we're doing that by politically empowering uh, oppressed people. So I, I want to get in a minute to what does community control of the police look like? But before we do, um, I mean, uh, police... Uh, killing uh, black people uh, has been a fact of for whatever um, since uh, you know up to slavery times and since then and so there's been all you know this justifications of self-defense etc um, going back for a long time but then you know more recent times we started to get uh, video evidence through telephones and people shooting cameras from I mean I remember when Rodney King uh, was beaten that was very rare for them to catch that kind of beating of in Los Angeles on on video um, but this you know this led to a building situation to uh, I, I want to talk about George Floyd uh, um, who was uh, in uh, the Twin Cities in Minnesota um, and uh, when George Floyd was murdered uh, it seemed to have a, 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 a huge impact on our whole country and especially I think the movement that you're part of the leadership of right now could you talk about George Floyd and what impact it had, not just here in Chicago, but everywhere, and uh, how that affected your movement and uh, changed it possibly? Yeah, um, I think one one thing about uh, Minneapolis um, is that uh, they, they have a, a chapter of the National Alliance over there called uh, the Twin Cities Coalition for Justice for Jamar. Um, and I'm not sure exactly when they were formed, but um, they... 
they they were formed to fight for justice for Jamar Clark and everyone um, who was killed by the police. Um, and uh, what many people have been uh, the point that many people have been making um, for a while now, and especially during the the um, rebellion. So just to say, Jamar Clark was similar to Laquan McDonald kind yeah. of situation. Okay, and it, you know exactly like that's that's the point that I was about to get into is that. There's all these names, you know, there's uh, there's Rakia Boyd, there's Sandra Bland, there's Jamar Clark, there's Laquan McDonald, there's uh, Trayvon Martin, you know, there's all these names of people who were killed by the police. And, um, you know, very few police are ever held accountable. And uh, even less, even less often do we see any kind of systemic change coming out of that. You know, seeing somebody getting murdered in broad daylight is a very traumatic thing to um, to experience and the fact that you know as black people we see that over and over and over and over again um, at a certain point you know you can only take that for so long and people you know people got out in the streets um, and they voiced their they voiced their anger at that um, because it's been happening for such a long time so blatantly so okay so let me um, dig in a little bit to this then about I want to get to what does community control of the police look like and, um, you know, some people refer back to the Black Panther Party. It was originally called the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Um, and their, uh, um, I think it was point seven of their 10-point program talked about community control of the police. And, um, you know, following them was the National Alliance and, and uh, the, the fight to free Angela Davis and, and some of that. So uh, what is, in your view, what does community control of the police actually look like the, um, well, let me just start there. What, what, what would you think? What does that look like? Um, just to, to steal a, a quote from Frank Chapman, um, it looks like uh, people having the power to, to decide who polices their communities and how those communities are policed, um, which means that, you know, like I said, black people don't want racist cops running around um, killing people. And, you know, even even more often than that, uh, brutalizing people, uh, arresting people for no reason, um, or for you know the the most trivial kind, the most trivial reasons. So black people having control, and not just black people, you know every uh, every oppressed community, but it comes down on on black people the hardest, uh, just because of the the history of this country. Um, community control looks like like us having the power to stop that, um, as you know collectively deciding. Uh, if if a cop has one brutality uh, complaint against them, they cannot be uh, in a, in a school. You know, they cannot be on the force anymore. You know, that's that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of power that we want to have. When um, we see in in Chicago, you can just take a picture of a cop's uh, badge number, look them up, and you'll find you know twenty something complaints, and none of them uh, resulted in anything significant. Um, so. There's that, and there's uh, that's the who polices our communities aspect, and how they are policed um, is about deciding on policy. You know, deciding on what actually happens because um, it is you know one of the ways that we've built up this movement is by canvassing in the streets. You know, just being outside, talking to people, and um, you know, getting their contact details and kind of uh, getting them into the movement uh, that way. And um, when when you're doing that, one of the things that you might hear. From people when you're talking about stopping police crime, stopping police from killing people, is um, you know you might see an auntie that says, "Well, what about my son who was murdered? You know, what about my my nephew? 
or, or something like that. And um, the response to that is that police in Chicago solve about 20% of murders on the South Side. Um, you know, it's, it's a shockingly low rate. And they had higher uh, conviction rates before that because they were um, just torturing people into confessing to things that they didn't do. Um, so those are the kinds of practices, you know, that should end immediately. And it's, it's common sense that they should end, but we don't have the collective power to actually end them. And that's what community control uh, would give us. Okay, so let's uh, let's take this forward then a little bit. So we, uh, the alliance uh, um, formed uh, uh, and, and d- uh, drafted actual legislation and tried to get it passed through the city council called uh, the Civilian Police Accountability Council uh, Act, and then um, eventually um, they ended up supporting something called uh, um, Empowering uh, uh, Communities for Public Safety, mm-hmm. e- ECPS. So could you walk us through what, what happened there? Did you, did you get everything you want? Uh, uh, you know, did you make compromises? Why did you make compromises, if, if so? Or uh, yeah. how, how did that look? Yeah, so um, it, it helps to think about uh, politics as, as a struggle, you know, between uh, oppressed and oppressors, between, you know, the, the ruling class and the, um, the working class. Um, because in any kind of fight, you kind of have to make pivots. You have to move back. You have to... Um, make all all kinds of all kinds of maneuvers. You can't just be you know running forward at the enemy, one hundred percent of the time. So after uh, after twenty twenty, we found ourselves in a new position, and we had to you know make some adjustments based on that. And there had there was this uh, other organization, the uh, Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability, or GAPA, that had kind of been struggling for a different legislation um, since 2014, just kind of parallel to us. Um, And their strategy was a little bit different in that they kind of wanted the mayor's cooperation, whereas we uh, wanted to polarize as many members of city council as possible against the mayor. And what 2020 made very clear was that the mayor is not at all interested in holding police accountable accountable, um, in any way, Um, you know, systemically, individually. Um, you know, she sent police to brutalize and arrest people, you know, countless times throughout the, the summer of 2020. And, you know, she continues to increase police budgets. And I, I could go on and on about uh, how terrible uh, Lori Lightfoot and other Chicago mayors are. But um, what, what you know, Gappa saw that eventually. And, um, you know, they split with the mayor, as did a lot of uh, all the persons who were in support of the Gappa ordinance. And they, uh, you know, we, we came together and decided that we have to, uh, you know, seize the moment and uh, come up with some kind of joint ordinance because we had about 19 uh, aldermanic supporters. We needed 26 for a majority and 33 for a veto-proof majority. Um, and they had about 20-something. And there was some overlap between uh, who was in support of GAPA and who was in support of CPAC. Um, and we brought, we came together, decided, um, you know, to hash out a new ordinance uh, that was going to be a mixture of uh, of theirs and of ours. Um, and there, it was a very, very difficult process, um, you know, because people have all kinds of different political views within that coalition. Um, and, you know, without getting uh, too much into the, like, the details of, of what the ordinance is, um, we didn't get all everything that we wanted, but what we got was a vital step towards community control of the police um, because we have this ordinance, this is a, a concrete, um, this is concrete legislation that is in 
that is the law of Chicago right now. Um, and that law establishes a citywide commission as well as district councils, which are organizing bodies um, that you know, we have to uh, fill up now. So we, we kind of gave ourselves a lot more work. Eventually, there's going to be elections from the community, though, right? So people in each police district will elect people that will have some control over the police in those districts or citywide. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So citywide, um, the, the citywide commission will have control over policy um, as, as well as um, some input into the budget process. Um the local districts are going to be uh, more organizing bodies. Um, those are elected, uh, directly elected. Um, but we also have a referendum uh, currently in city council right now that that we're uh, trying to push our older persons to uh, to speak up for, to vote for, um, you know, as soon as possible, which will create a referendum. And the referendum is putting the question directly to the people of Chicago. Um, the text of it is uh, goes something like, "Do you want the um, the citywide commission to be directly elected? Do you want it to have control over the budget, um, as well as uh, direct control over hiring and firing of the superintendent of police?" Um, so that you know, of course, is uh, much more control over the police than uh, what we have currently. Um, but again, ECPS was a step forward in that it gave us this uh, this new option this new uh we can make another step and also we have um this coalition of organizations that are that were fighting behind cp ecps and that are still with us right now in fighting for this referendum um and in a few other struggles that we're in right now um and this coalition is composed of uh organizations like ours as well as unions and uh, faith-based groups so it's it's a very broad political force that we're building up right now. So the, the the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression has a reputation of uniting broad numbers of people, putting people in the streets, having protests of thousands of people. Um, and the National Alliance called for protests nationally after the George Floyd situation. And now we're talking about um, actually electing people going out knocking on doors i'm you know lobbying people in city council uh maybe trying to elect this person or not elect that person could you talk about the balance between and i know you guys have tabled on the corners throughout the city but uh especially on the south side of chicago where the black community is uh in the west side and uh um can you talk about you know uh you know, has it shifted now? Should we be focusing more on electoral politics, or is uh, is is there still a place for protest? And uh, um, how does that work? And what would your advice be to people across the country um, who are uh, you know you know trying to do what Chicago did in passing an ordinance and trying to get community control of the police? What how do those tactics fit? Um, there's always there's always a place for protest. You know, I love a good protest, especially if it's um, you know, outside somebody's house or something like that. Um, you know, the more the more combative, the more in your face, the better. Um, but at the same time, there the the enemy uses a lot of tactics uh, to keep us down. And if we avoid any tactic, then we're essentially give, uh, conceding that ground to the enemy. Um, and when you know, when I say the enemy, I just want to be clear: it's um, that you know fraction of a percent of people who. You know that fraction of a percent of mostly white people who own uh, all the resources and basically make all the political decisions in this country. 
Um, and they are very interested in electoral politics and they are very interested in putting down protests. So what we do is we, you know, engage in electoral politics and we engage in protests. So there's that and there's, you know, we have lobbying, we uh, have these pressure campaigns on all the persons. Um, that's, you know, we do that all the time is, you know, getting people to call your older person, tell them to uh, vote for the referendum, vote for ECPS. Um, and to people in other cities, um, we have Alliance chapters in, I think, 22 different cities. Um, so if, if there is an Alliance chapter in your city, um, you know, join that because you, you'll never, ever, ever get any kind of systemic change as an individual. So you want to be a part of an organization. And I think this is a pretty good organization to be a part of. Um, it's and, a good time for the commercial. What's the, <laughs> what, what's, what's the website? Uh, how do they find uh, the, the National Alliance? Uh, or what's, what's, uh, we'll put it in the show notes as well for people here so you can uh, scroll down later and check that out. But go ahead, Kobe. How do people reach the Alliance? Yeah, the National Alliance um, is uh, narpr.org, N-A-A-R-P-R.org. Uh, the Chicago Alliance is carper.org. It's the same thing with the C, so it's C-A-A-R-P-R.org. Um, the Chicago Alliance is also on Twitter, as is the National Alliance. The Chicago Alliance is um, Carper Now, uh, and the National Alliance is Alliance uh, Against Racist and Political Repression. I don't think the word national is uh, is in the name. But yeah, we're on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you look up uh, National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression in the search bar, you will find us. Okay, and thank you, Andy Koch, our sound engineer, who for finding that for us. Uh, um, okay, so l- let me ask you about uh, the alliance uh, and its its structure and makeup a little bit. Not getting in the weeds too much, but uh, um, I've heard that they're consciously black led organization. Um, but I've been to you know events and have known members. It's not an all black organization. You have people of all different kinds. Uh, you know, Filipino, Palestinian, white, uh, Latino, whatever, whatever there is in Chicago or in the USA, um, they're in the alliance. And uh, um, so, uh, why are you consciously black-led, and uh, and why do you have this uh, this structure the way you do? Um, so we're black-led. You know, like I said, the um, the system oppresses uh, the vast majority of people in the world. Um, this you know imperialist uh, this imperialist system that benefits um, you know a couple a few hundred th- a few thousand people um, or that profits I should say uh, you know these are the the people who own like half the the resources in the world and make like ninety percent of the political decisions and in order to fight those people um, you know we need to use our resources you know and we don't have the resources that the resources that they have we don't have the money the equipment the like buildings the land but we do have the numbers um so just like an individual is not going to make systemic change you know it, it it works much better uh to make systemic change when you have groups of people working together um and uh, as an oppressed nation within the united states within the country of the united states um black people um have always been struggling uh, against white supremacy, uh, you know, in different ways. And some of those ways have included solidarity with uh, people of other oppressed nations and with uh, working class white people. Um, And, 
you know, we, we understand that. So we're not a black only organization, but we are a black led organization because, um, you know, we believe that because black people get the, um, the, the most, uh, the most hell from the system, basically, um, as a group of people, we're the most uh, revolutionary. Um, so the leadership of our organization is black, but um, we work with uh, people of all different people of all different backgrounds as long as they're interested in uh, liberation of black people and of all people. You know, they're we're on the same side. Let me ask you about that because I, I know, uh, um, and this relates to international solidarity, I think as well. Um, uh, when uh, uh, Sister Rasmia Oda was uh, being deported and eventually was deported from the United States, an activist in the Palestinian community here in Chicago. Um, the Chicago Alliance was one of the main organizations that uh, supported her and supported the work and uh, you know, made trips to uh, Michigan to, to fight uh, uh, against the, uh, her de- deportation. And... Um, I mean, there was even I saw some of the you know the newspaper clippings. People were stunned that you know black and Palestinian people working together, and and a lot of that I know was uh, the alliances uh, organizing in solidarity and support. Um, could you talk about uh, you know international solidarity, maybe particularly um, the, the the issue with uh, Rasmia and the Palestinians? Yeah, and that's um, you know there's there's so many examples. You know, a, a lot of people don't believe in solidarity for whatever reason, but there's so many examples of it existing in the real world. Um, in Ferguson, Palestinians were giving advice to protesters on how to handle tear gas because um, the tear gas manufacturers uh, that were that were tear gassing people in Ferguson um, were using equipment made by the Israeli state. The Israeli occupation forces, they they collude with the police forces here all the time and um they are supported by uh, american tax dollars you know um, the american government's money um so because the system of imperialism is an international system and there's all these connections between oppressors it's the same thing in um in south africa where i grew up um ronald reagan supported apartheid as did um you know nixon and and all those other presidents um and you know the uh, the the Israeli state also uh, was you know very close friends with the apartheid South African regime. Because of that, you see this uh, solidarity between Palestinians and South Africans, as well as South Africans and African Americans and African Americans and you know people all over the world. So um, whenever there is oppression anywhere in the world, um, because we're all in this one in this single um, interconnected system. Um, a win against imperialism anywhere is a win against imperialism everywhere. So we have to be in support of each other's struggles. Let me, let me move to a, another sector. I, I, I hear uh, at, at Alliance events, uh, they, they go out of their way to, um, to lift up and to, sh- and to show that they're working with organized labor. Um, why is organized labor uh, and trade unions in this country so important to the goals that the Alliance has? You know, something that um, a lot of people, something that, that Marx recognized and that Marxists recognize, but that is kind of um, taboo to, to talk about in, in the U.S. because of all this, like, you know, bourgeois uh, indoctrination is the fact that labor is what, you know, keeps society running. You know, the, the workers who 
um, you know, who teach, like, uh, you know, present company, um, who uh, drive buses, people who, who work in the mines, people who, um, you know, who, who, who keep spaces clean, who, you know, work in construction, all kinds of, every kind of labor, that's what keeps us all alive, you know. So um, that's also where the, the fraction of a 1%, that's where they get their money from. So um, when workers understand that and when they, um, you know, when they're, when they're together and they're consciously organized, they have the power to shut the whole system down just by not showing up to work, um, you know, just by going on strike. So we've, we've always been in support of, um, of organized labor in the city and organized labor has been, you know, a great, support of, a great supporter of ours, especially in the fight for ECPS. Um, the uh, Service Employees International uh, Union, the Healthcare Workers of Illinois, uh, SEIU, HCII, um, you know, they helped immensely. They, they uh, phone banked to all their members, their uh, tens of thousands of members. And, you know, they, uh, they had a lobbyist uh, working with us full time on uh, calling all the persons and, you know, uh, you know, whipping them into shape for, to support ECPS. No, there was broad support for uh, ECPS and even for CPAC. I know my union, the Chicago Teachers Union, endorsed it, and there was uh, AFSCME Local 2858, the letter carriers, uh, hotel and restaurant employees, SEIU Local 73 as well, and I'm probably forgetting some as I start a list. I probably shouldn't do that. Um, let me ask you about another campaign of the Alliance. Uh, could you say what uh, CFIST stands for and what that is? Yeah, so CFIST, um, I mentioned Gerald Reed earlier. CFIST is the Campaign to Free Incarcerated Survivors of Torture. Um, so Gerald Reed and hundreds of other, uh, mostly uh, black men, um, but, you know, black women too, uh, and, you know, people of other nationalities as well, um, including um, Puerto Ricans who were, uh, who were framed by uh, Detective Ronaldo Guevara, so this is just in Chicago or hundreds nationally? This is just in Chicago. Oh my um, god. Yeah, so in um we you know this is this has been a practice for decades, you know, going back as as long as there's been a police force in Chicago. Um they've been torturing people. Uh and um what they did to Gerald Reed, you know, there's there's accounts of it out there like I, I won't get into the details, but you know, they tortured him. They um injured him. Like he's still struggling with a lot of those injuries. Um, and they tortured him in 1990, um, uh, forced him to con- to confess to a double homicide that he did not commit. Um, and this was, you know, this became public public knowledge. You know, it, it wasn't. Um, I don't think John Burge specifically tortured Gerald Reed, but everybody knew that John Burge. Everybody has known for for years that John Burge and the detectives working under him. Uh, were notorious for torturing people um and even with that knowledge being public there are still hundreds of of torture survivors that we know of who who are still so the demand is to free these hundreds of people that Mm -hmm. were were tortured what could people do to to support that uh they can they can call the governor uh, jb pritzker um the movement made jb pritzker sign a clemency petition for gerald reed and that's how gerald reed is uh you know walking uh, is a free man right now, or mostly free, because the system still kind of has its has its claws in him. Um, but um, J.B. Pritzker, he doesn't even need to do that much work. He can just lift up a pen and sign 
these uh, clemency petitions um, and, you know, free everybody who, who we know of who has been tortured. Um, but that practice has been so central to uh, the way the police do things. It's not just Chicago. You know, it's, it's not just um, John Burge in the 80s and 90s um, or 70s, 80s and 90s. You know, it, this is, you know, a, a core part of policing. And anybody who has been through the system can tell you that. You know, anybody who who knows people who've been through the system can tell you that they are very, very used to torturing people or, co- or in other ways coercing people to confess to things. So fighting for uh, the freedom of... Uh, of people like Gerald Reed and other people who've been tortured is a crucial way to fight against the system as a whole um, because it it undermines the legitimacy of, um, you know, all this like law and order nonsense that they're talking about. So let me ask you this then. Uh, so we're, we're trying to get the tortured victims out of jail, but I, I want to ask you about uh, the guy who killed uh, Laquan McDonald, Jason Van Dyke. He, he was convicted. You know, he was sentenced and uh, he's just recently been released from jail. And the Alliance uh, is, is actually asking to send him back to jail. Um, so uh, uh, so here's a case where you're trying to send somebody to jail. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, this actually stands, you know, some people in the movement, uh, people that call themselves abolitionists, may, some of them anyways, may disagree with this. Could you talk about Jason Van Dyke and why you think it's important to send him uh, back to jail? Yeah, I mean, some of them is, is, is the key here. Um, you know, that's that's been a conversation that's been had quite a few times. Um, but we still have, you know, a lot of abolitionists supporting um, our movement. Some of them don't, don't necessarily agree on this point, but some of them do. Um, but the, I guess the simplest way to put it is we want different things for our enemies than we want for ourselves. And, you know, we have to be very clear that Jason Van Dyke is not the same as Gerald Reed. You know, Gerald Reed was targeted because he was a young black man. Jason Van Dyke killed somebody who was a young black man. You know, so they're on two opposite sides of, um, of, the, fight to, uh, of the fight for liberation. You know, so when somebody is a committed enemy of, um, of black people, you know, when someone has... has uh, you know, killed for white supremacy. Um, you know, we don't need that person uh, to be free. So, you know, that's something that we that uh, that we fight for whenever a police officer kills uh, kills someone is that we do fight for them to go to jail because that's not that's not uh, a friend of ours. So, um, I have a I have one last question for you, um, and uh, thank you so much for being so generous with your time here today and telling us a. Uh, uh, the story about the the, the alliance, um, but uh, I'm curious. You know, uh, you know, we've been talking, you know, on a, a deeper political level. But uh, um, how did you get involved in this? People don't wake up just one day and say, "Hey, I want to get uh, tortured people out of jail," or "I want to uh, do this or that." What what motivated you uh, on a personal level to to say, "Okay, this is something"? Because I know you've been putting in all kinds of time. When I go to a rally or, or, or whatever, looking around, I see you there, and, and you're a leader that puts in, and it was really you know, sacrificed for this movement. Uh, what motivated you to do that in the first place? I wouldn't say I've sacrificed that much. I've only been here for about three years now. Um, you know, compared to people like, you know, like Frank Chapman, people um, you know, who've been in the movement for like, as long as 
like since my mother was a toddler um you know i i haven't really done that much um but so i grew up in in johannesburg south africa i moved here for university and here being chicago for university in 2015 um so you know i i saw a lot of the same uh the same racist systems you know still enduring past um you know when we were supposed to have been free uh in south africa and in uh in the u.s and um you know i after a few years it, it kind of becomes clear that you know nobody's like this stuff doesn't just change on its own you know we have to um every single person who sees that systemic racism is a problem has to get involved and um i kind of started dipping my toes in the water around like 2018 um but you know i didn't i i still wasn't uh fully clear on you know what what's going on in the world um but i mean i'm still not like i, I don't want to act like i know everything but um i uh, started doing poetry for freedom road socialist organization another amazing organization um that i'm now a member of um and i at a few of their events i did some poetry um but the event that really uh that had an, had a had quite an impact on me was uh, the Black History Month event in February of 2019, um, where Armanda Shackelford, who is uh, Gerald Reed's mother, she's been you know fighting for him for 30 years, and she um, she's she's been such an inspiration to so many people in the city, and um, taught us so much about you know struggling for um, for justice, you know not just for Gerald Reed, you know she said this so many times. Um, and she, she's still in the movement, you know, um, as, uh, you know, even as she's, you know, getting older, um, she said that it's not just about Gerald Reed, it's about everybody, you know, it's about the system. Um, so I, I listened to Armando Shackelford and I listened to Frank Chapman, um, as they both spoke about this system from, uh, the perspectives of people who've been so, um, so impacted by it, so brutalized by it, um, and, you know, I just said to myself, this is the organization that I want to join. You know, I, I, if I'm going to make some change, this is, uh, these are the people that I'm going to make it with. Um, and I went to uh, a meeting on Monday. Um, you know, we still have Monday meetings every uh, every week at 6 p.m. They're on Zoom now because of the, the pandemic. Um, but, you know, I went to a mon- the, the first Monday meeting I went to started uh, taking on uh, roles here and there. Um, one of the first was tabling, um, just talking to people, um, and you know that that kind of turned into taking notes at meetings, uh, doing social media work, um, and just you know being there for things that need to be done because there's always things that need to be done, um, and you know we are a volunteer organization, so we don't have, uh, you know, you just kind of get in where you fit in. Um, so I just kept, you know, getting in and I'm still, you know, getting in where I fit in and, you know, just doing as much as I can. Well, well, thank you, Kobe. This has been a, a, a real joy uh, talking to you. Thank you for, uh, you know, you brought uh, knowledge to people, not just to me, but hopefully to people on this podcast. And uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I told you that was going to be a good interview. Um, Kobe Guillory, uh, thank you so much for being our first guest on our show, setting the bar 
really high for us uh, and one we intend to meet by the way we're going to have good guests here uh, week uh, after week and uh, we want all our listeners to continue to tune in um, Kobe wanted me to make sure that we put in our show notes uh, the contact information for the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression so wherever you are in the country you can contact them and hopefully get involved in what they're doing um, also the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression if you're interested in learning more about them or if you're in the Chicago land area um, we encourage you to, to get in contact with them we're going to put both of these uh, into our show notes. Um, also, Kobe wanted me to make sure that we put in two of the campaigns that uh, the Alliance is involved in right now. Uh, he mentioned in the interview uh, the brutal murder of uh, Laquan McDonald and uh, that uh, Jason Van Dyke, uh, the police officer who murdered him, um, is, is got out of jail with uh, very little time. Uh, and the Alliance is calling for um, the uh, U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois to indict Jason Van Dyke. So there's a, a letter that you can sign on to in our show notes. Um, also, the alliance is involved in what they call CFIS. We made a uh, we talked about that a little bit. The campaign to free incarcerated survivors of torture. Um, and so uh, for uh, torture survivors and the, and the wrongfully convicted, this is a very important thing. The families of these uh, people are deeply involved in it as well. And we, we look for your support on that. Um, also, I just want to point out to people, uh, Fight Back Radio is a production of fightbacknews.org and uh, bringing you news and views of the people's struggles. And uh, we, we encourage you to go there. Take a look at the, the website for fightbacknews.org. Um, in our show notes, we're going to have our contact information for, uh, for Fight Back um, and for Fight Back Radio. Um, also, before I sign off, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you, give us five stars. We're trying to move up the, the projections, uh, you know, so when people start looking for podcasts, they'll find us. Five stars helps us. A positive review helps us. Uh, our intention is for this to come out every two weeks, and we're going to drop it on a Sunday always. So your next uh, uh, podcast of Fight Back Radio uh, will be on uh, May 29th, and so and we're going to do that regularly. We'll, we'll be good about that. Um uh, and we're going to have another great guest, and so and one after the other. We have uh, se several people lined up. I'm excited to have uh, folks on here. If you have ideas of who we should have, uh, feel free to send me an e email uh, saying that, um, who you, uh, making your recommendations. Um, but uh, lastly, before I do sign off, I want to uh, thank uh, the people that worked so hard to make this podcast a reality. Our, our production team of Andy Koch, Shane Tremley, and Vince Olson. This could not have been done without them. And so I thank you so much. So uh, for the entire Fight Back Radio team, uh, I'm Richard Berg, uh, saying until next time, all power to the people.